Well, good morning. Uh, aren't you glad that, dads, we don't have a regular press conference? <laughs> I think half of my press conference would probably be bleeped out. I'm just saying, it's just that way. Hey, my name's Ben. I'm our college pastor here at Flatirons. I work with like 18 to 25-year-olds, and God's been doing some really incredible stuff in our college students. In fact, over the last year, we've seen 42 college students get baptized here at Flatirons, and God's been doing something. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of fun. In fact, this Tuesday, if you're between the ages of 18 and 25, we rented out a movie theater here pretty close by, and we're gonna go to the movies together, so come join us and hang out. Uh, my wife and I have been in ministry full-time for 11 years. We work with students and college students, but one of the things we enjoy the most is also counseling and walking alongside couples. And listen, it's, it's Father's Day, and so I'm just gonna be an advocate for all the men in the room. Can I get an amen, guys, okay? Now don't talk from now on, okay? So here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna be an advocate for you. I, I, the number one thing that happens when we deal with couples is we see it's, it's not the issue, but it's like the communication that's in there, right? And it's like the thing that doesn't quite line up. So I'm gonna give you a couple scenarios and, and ladies in this room, I'm gonna help you understand your fathers, your dads, your husbands better. That sound good? Okay, so he, here's how it works. Um, scenario number one, if, if your man comes home and he physically injures himself doing something and you ask him, what were you thinking? And he says, uh, we're not lying. <laughs> we don't know. I, I'm recovering uh, 12 weeks post tricep rupture because I thought it would be great three days before our last child was born to end up eight or nine feet in the air at a terrain park snowboarding, trying a new trick. Like, uh, why not? And she's like, what were you thinking? I like, uh, it's the truth. Okay. Uh, scenario number two, uh, guys, don't look at your wives on this one. Just Lock in with me for a second. If he goes and hangs out, goes golfing, goes hunting, uh, goes out and eats or whatever, and he comes home and you're like, hey, what'd you guys talk about? He's like, nothing. We didn't talk about anything. We're not lying to you. We didn't talk about you. We're not trying to keep something from you like that's the truth. We just hung out. We just golfed. And let me clear something up when it comes to golf. Ladies, a round of golf is 18 holes. It is not nine we don't want to get a text and say, what hole are you on? Just like you don't want to get a text and be like, what toe are you on? What nail are you on at half of your manicure or half of your pedicure? Can I get an amen, fellas? Come on. Okay, I'm done. I'm going to like take a couple steps back. And then last but not least, if you find yourself, your, your, your guy, your man, your father in a physically precarious situation, he's trying to load something up into the back of a truck or he's trying to carry like some heavy object on his own. And you look at us and you go, I think he needs help. Don't ask. Just help us, because if you say, do you need help? We're just going to say no, and then we're going to get injured, and we're like back to scenario number one, okay? And listen, that's just the way it is sometimes as guys. We find ourselves in a lot of different situations in life, in life, a lot of highs, a lot of lows, a lot of moments that we get there, and we just go like, I just don't know how I ended up here, and different things like that. And that's, that's kind of what's happened um, in my life over the last five years. And, and today, listen, man, I, I want to challenge you with something. Um, yes, it's Father's Day. I'm just giving you a fair warning. I'm probably going to cry at some point today with some of the stories I tell. Sorry, we're going emotional on Father's Day. Listen, it, it may feel heavy, but just lean in just for a minute. I believe that God has something for us today. And, and we've been over this series over the last several weeks called Bad Ideas. And here's our bad idea today is that Jesus makes your life easier. And I wish I could tell you that that was the case, but it's not. Life is difficult and it's frustrating at times. 
And there's a guy in scripture who in fact is an author of most of the New Testament. His name is Paul. Paul has taken multiple missionary journeys and he's writing all of these letters, which we call books in the New Testament, like Philippians, Ephesians, Corinthians. And these are all versions of letters that he wrote to these churches. Most of the letters that Paul writes to these churches are one of correction or moral failure or some way to help them bend the curve back to a relationship with Christ. But there's a book called Philippians. It's a church in a place called Philippi. And he writes this letter to them. And one of the best parts about this letter is understanding that this letter that he writes is a letter of encouragement. There's no moral failure. There's no struggles, but he's writing and he's encouraging them in their walk with Christ. It's one of my favorite parts about it, but here's what's wild about this letter. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter four today, if you guys want to start turning there, but here's, what's crazy about this letter. In Philippians chapter four, scholars believe that Paul is actually writing this letter from one of his times where he is in prison. So these words that come from his mouth and he writes this down, he's writing from a place of being shackled and in prison. So we're in Philippians chapter four, verses 11 through 13, and this is what it says. Um, not that I am speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now I want you to underline or circle the word learned right there. Okay. We're going to make a couple marks in our passage today. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret. So circle underline secret of being, uh, of, sorry, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then a verse we all know so well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that might be the most overused passage of scripture in our lives today. How do I know this? Some of you probably said that because you had to park at the back of the parking lot at the church and you're like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You may have said that in the Starbucks line because they didn't have your soy milk and they go, well, is whole milk okay? You know how that looks for me? You get ready to work out and I'm like, no headphones, no pre-workout. It's like, mm, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We do that. You hear it from every professional athlete that's ever won the Super Bowl or the World Series, and you hear it afterwards, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what about the guy that's in the locker room that didn't win? Have you heard them say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I'm gonna be okay, my identity's not in the game? How often do we see those phrases when you've been diagnosed with an illness or experienced the loss of a loved one or in the middle of a broken marriage, in the middle of an abusive relationship or in the middle of addiction yourself, how often do we use those phrases? Now, Paul writes here and he says to us that I know what it is to have little and I know what it is to have much. And I believe as a people, we do really well at one of these things. And it's, I know how to be content when I have much. We got that one down. Like for me, date night with my wife, playing catch with our son in the backyard, sitting on the back porch, chasing elk in the mountains, watching baseball. I know how to be content in those moments because life is good. We know it, we get it, but we struggle when it is to have little. And maybe you think we're going in this direction today and it's when being content when you don't have enough or because of our want. You may use a phrase like this. I would be content if only I had fill in the blank. If I had more money, if I had that job, if I had that car, if I had that house, if I was married, if I wasn't married anymore, if I had kids, parents don't act like you haven't said this one. If I didn't have these kids, we use these phrases with that. And I think we can understand and we can adjust in our life when it comes to being in want and when it is to not have enough, we can make some adjustments. But I think 413 has a deeper meaning for us. And it's that, how do I be content when I'm in the middle of suffering? 
that's when it becomes really difficult for us. And, and I think I've learned through the years that suffering is subjective, right? And even like for Paul, who's the writer of this, who literally writes this from prison, the man experienced like suffering. And for us as Christians, we say some stuff like, well, I shouldn't suffer because I'm a believer. And, that, and that's not reality. In fact, in scripture, 186 times, it's written that we suffer as Christians, that we suffer as believers. Paul knows it. He was beaten. He was persecuted. He was stoned. He was in prison. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, Lord, I have a thorn in my flesh. Please remove it. And three times God replies to him and says, no, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. So we think we shouldn't suffer. And, and in this moment of suffering is subjective, I've learned that as a pastor over the last 11 years of my career, that working with students, there's moments that I may not feel like they're suffering, but to them, it's their reality and it's their world. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Let me give you, for instance, no matter where you go, if you have a child under the age of six, there's like a hallway or place that you drop them off. If you are raising children under the age of six, we are suffering. You walk down that hallway and it looks like a war zone broke out. And it's all that couples can do is just to hold hands and smile and go, good morning. Because they know what the ride was like with those kids on the way to church or wherever you're at. But suffering can also mean a lot of other things too. And there can be real difficult life situations that you don't know how to manage, like the diagnosis that you don't know how to go through, financial strain, marital strain, situations that you have no idea what to do except for to take the next breath. So depending on who you are, suffering can look a lot of different ways, but we all experience the same. We all encounter it and we go through it the same. We may carry stuff Differently, and honestly, for us as a family, that's what kind of the last five years of our life has looked like. We kind of have this joke in our house that if we were to take all of the medical wristbands that we've got on that at home and we were to attach them and we were to make them a necklace, I would be singing the song, Does Your Chain Hang Low? It's what we've gone through. But I can tell you this that God in the middle of it has been really good. And we learn this about contentment we learn that contentment is an active choice and a learned behavior. It isn't natural, but it is an active choice, meaning you have to actively think about being content when you are in the middle of suffering. And it's a behavior that you have to learn. I'm gonna share two stories with you today that honestly, there are moments in that that left me questioning the goodness of God. You may be sitting there going, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to have this down. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. So part of our journey as a family is we've really struggled through infertility and we do have a couple kids and we have struggled with it. It's been really difficult to get pregnant. Some of you know what that's like. Um, I'm, thir I'm 33 and my last name is Chavez and my wife's main name is Martinez. So to have three by 33, I think I'm a little behind the curve of our lineage, okay? <laughs> so part of that comes with this reality. And so um, in 2017, after a long stint of trying to figure this out, we had our son, he's our oldest, his name's Beckham. And then uh, several years later down the road in the same efforts and going through the same stuff in 2020, in January, 2020, we found out that we were pregnant with our second child and we couldn't be more excited. Now, listen, I didn't, I wasn't raised with sisters, girl cousins, getting married was an eye opener. I was nervous when I found out that it was a little girl. Okay. So we began to take this journey. And of course, in 2020, you know, when March hit, the world kind of shut down. And so in this, we were in the middle of doing ministry through Zoom, which was like utter chaos, like trying to work with students and college students through Zoom was like trying to hurt a bunch of blind cats getting let go out of a bag at the same time. It was like constantly just hitting mute. All these kids were running around. It was fantastic. It was great. 
Love those moments. But in these times, we decided that we were going to take a trip and we were living in Texas at the time and we were going to go visit um, my in-laws and they're in Southwest Colorado. So we were staying there and, and early one morning, we were about the 20 week mark. And my wife tapped me on the shoulder. The sun was barely coming up. And I, I opened my eyes and as I'm coming up out of sleep, I looked at her and tears were flowing down her face. And she looks at me and she says, Ben, I've, I've started to bleed. I need to see a doctor. So not being where our doctor was from, we start scrambling, making phone calls, trying to figure it out. Her sister helped us and she gets in the car with her mom and I stay with our um, son at the time and, and she heads to the doctor. And she goes and, and this time passes, which felt like forever. She calls me and they call and her mom's crying and, and she said, they can't find a heartbeat. So we hop on the phone, we call her doctor and her doctor says, hey, can you rush back home and be here first thing in the morning? I wanna see you guys. I wanna give a second opinion. I wanna make sure that that's really what's going on. Listen, I've been a believer my whole life. Been pastoring for 11 years. I have super fond memories of a little kid as like a five and a six-year-old dragging a sleeping bag to early morning prayer. Like fond memories of that. That's how long I've been in here. But I can tell you this, over the next 24 hours from that moment, we loaded up the car and we drove back to home in Texas to go see our doctor. I don't think I've ever prayed as hard as I prayed. My wife and I wrestled with God. I remember telling him, I'm like, hi, God, remember me? I literally work for you for a living. I know you can do miracles. God, we need to see one. You know the desires of our hearts. You know what we've prayed for. You know what we've been through. God, let us, see a, let us hear a heartbeat first thing in the morning. And we struggled and we wrestled with God. So we get there and we head to the doctor and no heartbeat. And God didn't answer our prayers. And for some of you that have experienced miscarriage, just like me right now, it's bringing up a lot of raw emotion. And I remember as the days to follow, we began to really wrestle with the goodness of God. And at that 20 week mark, my wife in the middle of COVID had to go in for a DNC. And I've never felt so rallied around behind, behind the community that we were in to take care of us and love on us. But let me just tell you this, in private, we struggled and wrestled with God. I remember telling him, Lord, I know I told you I wanna preach for the rest of my life, but I don't want a story like this to have to share. I don't want another analogy. I don't want another sermon. Pass it to somebody else. And we wrestled with God. And I've never seen a woman as strong as I did as my wife through those days, but we begin to internally wrestle. Now, maybe you've not experienced a miscarriage, but you've experienced a loss or a situation that has caused anxiety, depression, frustration, deep anger towards the Lord. I remember there were moments that I held things in. I didn't share with anybody else that I wrestled with God in private and got mad at him in private. And I kept it in and I struggled through that. So through the struggling and as time went on a little while later, we found out that we were uh, pregnant with our second child. And so all of that felt really uneasy. We were uh, able to give birth or well, I, I wasn't, my wife did all the work. Okay. <laughs> Not funny how we say that phrase. Like we were, it's like, no, dude. Your part was about that much in the whole story. Um, don't think on that too much. <laughs> so we... <laughs> great first at bat. It feels great. <laughs> so we found out that we were pregnant with our second child. And, and as time went on, um, we were in the middle of some really difficult church hurt, the place that we were at before. And about a year ago, we were hired here at Flatirons and became a part of this journey that's going on with our next gen. And we moved here. And sometimes when you move as difficult as you feel like it breathes new life, you know what I'm talking about? So it feels like it's breathing new life. We're really excited. And we found out last summer that we were pregnant with our third. 
And we got really excited because we felt like it was a turning over a leaf. Life had been pretty difficult for quite a while, different financial strains and medical issues and house stuff. It was pretty rough. We felt like God was giving us a new season. So start going through all our appointments and all of them were great. We got to week 16. It was an amazing appointment. We get up to week 20 and we had this idea and we said, why don't we let our son go with you, Nicole? Why don't, why don't he go with you and he get to see the baby? You got to do that with his sister. It'd be really fun. So we, I stayed at home with our daughter, who sometimes we wonder if it's feral, just letting that out there. And so, cause we're not taking her in public. Like I'm hanging out with her at home. She's amazing. But so Nicole takes Beckham and we were there and as time passed. And I remember my phone ringing and I turned my phone over and have you ever seen a name pop up on your phone? You haven't even answered yet. And you know, something's wrong. I'm picking up the phone and, and sliding the answer. And the moment I put it up to my ear, I heard her take her first breath and I knew something was the matter. And I know that cry. And when you know the loved ones that you go through and you've been through stuff with them, you know. So I, I immediately thought that we miscarried again at the 20 week mark, the same as we've done before. But the information that she shared to follow felt a lot worse. So she was there and I was trying to make out the words that she was sharing with me. And inside of the vehicle was our son and she was crying and I was trying to make the words. And she said, they can't find parts of his brain. They can't find parts of his brain. And trying to understand the information. And as the days followed in those moments, what we find out is that there were portions of our son's brain that were missing. Some membranes and some pieces that were really vital to his development as a, as a child in the womb. Here's what's incredible. In that moment, my son's in the room, the doctor that we had saw this and didn't feel the need to involve me in the conversation, but looked at my wife and said, listen, you're not gonna have a quality life for you, nor will there be a quality life for this baby. My first suggestion to you is that you terminate this pregnancy. And I've never been so proud of my wife. Without me there in the room with our six year old, she looked him in the eyes and she said, that's not an option for us. We're gonna have this baby. And so for the next 20 weeks, we had 15 total appointments. We went to doctor after doctor and specialist after specialist to see kidneys, hearts, lungs. If the word of the doctor ends in an ologist, we probably saw him. We met with all of them and, and, and we began to tell people what was going on because we believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of the church. So we wanted people to partner with us in that and support us and to pray and to pray for God to do a miracle. But one appointment turned into two, that turned into three, it turned into four. And leading up to every single one of those appointments, we said, God, this is the time we're gonna see a miracle. God, we have people praying for us. We know we can go in and you can do all things, Lord. We're gonna see it. And every single appointment, one after another after another, we didn't see a miracle. The best one we had in those 20 weeks was, hey, his kidneys have returned to normal size. So it wasn't leading up to the appointments that it was difficult, but it was the times and the days to follow that were difficult because we began to wrestle with, Lord, are you hearing us? God, we're struggling. Do you not hear the, the words that are leaving our mouth? God, the cry of our heart, the people that are around us. And we just didn't see a miracle in all these appointments. And we begin to become really frustrated at the situation. You ever been there in marriage, right? You're, originally it doesn't start, you're mad at each other, but you're mad at this thing, but you can't be mad at it because it's not tangible. So like slowly, but surely the frustration begins to be turned towards one another. You know what I'm talking about? And you begin to become frustrated with one another. And we wrestled and we struggled both individually, privately and together and begin to get frustrated. But I've never seen a woman be as a good of a mother as my wife was to our two children during that time. She loved on them and she took care of them. I'm so proud of her. And through this and even in this wrestling and when we struggled at appointment after appointment, 
we began to realize that the reality that was setting in is we were gonna have a son and what they were told us with, with some pretty severe health concerns. One end of the spectrum was that he would be wheelchair bound, probably need a trach or a feeding tube. Or the other side of it is he could have lower learning disability, he had learning disabilities, eyesight issues, hearing issues. But when you're given those two, what side do you listen to and think about the most? Like it's this side, right? It's this worst case scenario. I remember sitting there as a dad and we had, we had purchased a home. Uh, it's two story. And I remember sitting there like, so he's just wrestling with the like, well, at some point my wife's not gonna be able to carry our son up to the second floor to his room. And I wrestled with things differently. I began to shelter and to push these things in and wrestle with them in private because I didn't want anybody else to have to deal with my pain and my struggle. So here we are, and this is about the best place that we got into is a week before he was born. We go to this last appointment and we're there and we're on the drive and we go through the appointment and, and there's, there's still blank spots. And we became really familiar with when doctors were moving their hands over ultrasounds and through MRIs to when they would begin to rotate their hand a certain way on Nicole's stomach. I, I knew what we were gonna be looking at next and there it was, the same thing we had seen since the 20 week mark. We got in the car and my, and my wife said, she said, are you gonna love him any less? And I knew that I wouldn't. So we prepped for the next seven days and we went to our appointment and there we are and we're getting ready and my wife's water breaks and within the hour she had the baby, she outpaced her epidural. We asked if we could have a refund on the epidural. <laughs> Apparently it doesn't work that way. Um, but we're in there, it's us, it's our doctor, it's, it's a nurse that's with us, the RN, and then um, our moms, and then Nicole's sister. And Nick, Nicole's getting ready to push, and the nurse goes, okay, everybody can come in. And I went, everybody can come in. And it was like they opened up the door of a clown car, and that just like one doctor after another, after another, after another, after another. There ended up being my poor wife, like about to give birth, and there's 20, 20 total people in the room. And the reason that it was that way is they told us that it was gonna be uh, almost positive ascent in the NICU, and there was two things we had to watch for. Within the first 30 seconds, does he breathe on his own? Does he cry? Does he take his first breath? Because if not, immediately the NICU, because there's probably gonna be a trach. If not, then here's the next thing. In the next several hours to follow, does he eat on his own? He doesn't have to eat off mom, but does he swallow on his own? Because if not, then there's, there's probably gonna need to be a feeding tube. So here we are, all these doctors, they're prepped, they're ready, and this baby's born, and within seconds, and there's that first brand newborn cry. And I begin, tears begin to flow, but I'm still kind of uneasy. And they hand this baby off to the first couple of doctors. And they do their checks and hand the baby back to Nicole. And Nicole gets to hold and the baby have skin to skin. And next thing we know, the doctors are kind of all doing their thing. And he's acting like he wants to eat. Like within the first like five minutes. And the, the nurse goes, do you want to see if he'll latch? Full feeding right there. And I was kind of sitting there like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> They passed the other doctors and just as soon as all of them came in, they all left. And it was just in the room with the baby. And our, our, our doctor said, hey, things are going really well. I want your family to be able to come in. We're gonna give you some space for a little bit. We didn't go to the NICU, but we sat there with our family and we were able to enjoy the birth of our third child. His name is Bronx. We began to look at this baby and she comes back a little later and said, I know we thought we were gonna have to stay at the NICU and here at the hospital for a while. I'm gonna send you to a regular recovery room. So we say, okay, and we go to the recovery room and everybody's there visiting and she comes back in a little bit later and she says, I know we wanted to do a full MRI and all these tests, but can we just start with an ultrasound in the room? So I bring the machine and we're sitting there and, 
it's turned away from us. And I know where that hand is rotating to, right? I know what I'm looking for, but the screen wasn't facing us. And she said, okay, we're going to go look at the results. Enjoy your family. We'll be back. We'll be back here shortly. And one hour turned into two, turned into four, turned into six hours. And now it's late into the evening. At this point, we've let all of our family go. And it's just me, my wife, and my sister-in-law and the baby. And our doctor comes in and she's got the biggest smile on her face. And she said, I'm sorry, it took so long. We went over all of your paperwork. We went through all of your appointments and we looked at it and you prepared the right way what you've seen even the last week. And you can't tell me what I didn't see last week. I saw dark spots on his brain, but I will never forget these words. She looks at us and she goes, I don't know what to say except for today. Every part of your son's brain is present and fully formed. And y'all, I turned into the world's most expert doctor in that moment. And I went, well, what about this and the kidneys and this on the heart? And I like repeated all of the appointments that we had had. And our, our poor doctor, she goes, hey, hold on. I'm just going to go print the paperwork off and let's just read it together. Okay. So she, she leaves and we're just sitting there quiet and silent. And she comes back in and we're looking through this paperwork and I'm looking at all this stuff that I had seen before that was not there, unpresent, cannot find. And it's present and fully formed. And she goes, hey, things are going really good. I've canceled all your other appointments. I'm going to leave you for the evening. You're probably going to get to go home tomorrow. And she leaves the room and I didn't meant we do this. I didn't realize how much I had bottled up and how much I had struggled with on my own separate from my wife because I didn't want anybody else to deal with it. And I wish I would have just shared in that moment. I physically collapsed to the floor. It was uncontrollable. And my poor wife that actually had the baby, <laughs> she gets out of bed and she comes and comforts me on the ground. And we begin to weep together because we were experiencing the goodness of God and everything that our heart and our soul was now lining up with what our mind was hearing. And I'll be so forever grateful for my sister-in-law. She pulls out her phone and she recorded this. Literally, this is the moment after that doctor shut the door. <laughs> How good is that, right? He was sitting, he was like, he's like, dad, I'm good. I'm good. I'll never forget. Nobody prayed harder than our son did during all of this. Our six-year-old, he, he genuinely carried our faith in our house. And I was so excited. It was my first phone call. And I was like, Beckham, Beckham. Because to be honest with you, like as a dad, I didn't know how to tell my six-year-old that his prayers didn't work. So I was really excited to call him and tell him. I didn't have to wrestle with that. So I call him. I'm like, Beckham, Beckham, your prayers work. Your brother's brain's healed. And you know what he goes? I know, dad. I said, what? And he goes, hey, dad, pops got me a really cool pair of hey dudes today. I can't wait to show you. It's like, all right. But listen, the reason I tell you those two stories is we feel like we have experienced what it is to have little and what it is to have much. I cannot tell you the reason why, nor am I the pastor that understands the theology to tell you why bad things happen to good people. Because in one situation and circumstance, we prayed and we cried out before the Lord and we saw the goodness of God. Even though we're not totally out of the woods yet, life is very different than what we were told it's going to be like. And then in another situation, we prayed the same exact way and we didn't see a miracle from God. I can't sit here and tell you that I understand why that is. But what I can tell you is in the middle of our heartache and the middle of our frustration, Jesus didn't make life easier, but Jesus gave me the strength for the moment that I was facing. Because life is difficult and it's not easy. But what I can tell you is your faith can sustain you. 
And that's what he's writing about there is in Philippians chapter four, I asked you to underline two words. I want to ask you to underline the word learn and secret. And when it comes to learn, what that means is that it's something that you don't understand that you have to actively pursue to understand the knowledge of. Guys, we're super good about this when it comes to a home project. We watch 20 YouTube videos in 20 different languages to figure it out. And at the same time, our wife sits there and goes, I don't think you know how to do that. But we are so good at trying to fix the problem and learn something. But we don't do that when we face difficult situations in our life, emotionally, and with people that are around us. Just because you don't know something doesn't mean it gets to be your cop-out as to why you don't make an effort to grow in it. So when it comes to learn in scripture, when he writes, I have learned what it is to be content, we realize that we were learning from some places other than our relationship with God. And first we learned through the mentors that were in our life, people that have experienced some life that have gone through some things that were able to lean in and look at me and say, Ben, you're going to be okay. Nicole, you're going to make it. Listen, some of you have been through some life situations and circumstances and your faith has come out strong on the other side, but you are sitting on your hands and you are not teaching the next generation the goodness of God. You've raised families, you've started businesses, you've gone through bankruptcy, you've dealt with divorce, you've dealt with broken marriages, and yet again, you sit there and you just allow that information to be stuck inside. Listen, I'm a part of a church that believes in teaching this next generation. Our college students, 18 to 25, need to hear from you. They need you as a small group leader so that you can tell them, listen, life's gonna hit you hard. And it's not going to be easy, but God is good. And he's going to take care of you in the middle of that. Serve with our middle school, serve with our high school, serve with our college students, be a small group leader because I needed people in those moments to look at me and tell me I was going to be okay. I challenge you. Don't wait and think I'll do it later. Do it now. Get a part of it. Get involved right now. Probably with college, just saying. And then in this process of learning from our mentors, I also realized that I was learning from unexpected places. So I told you that moment when my wife had called me that our six-year-old was in the back of the vehicle. And I remember being really mad early on that he was at that appointment and that it wasn't me. I didn't want my six-year-old to have to try to understand what he was hearing. And he heard the whole thing. And I remember calling my dad and telling him how frustrated I was. And he said, yeah, but would you have responded the way that he did? And my wife gets in the car. And she's wiping tears from her eyes and she's trying to take a breath. And I can hear my son in the back. He's five at the time. And he goes, mama. And she says, yeah, baby. I said, mama, do you know that Jesus can do anything? She says, yeah, he can. And then I kid you not, these are his true words. He said, but mama, if he doesn't, we still have to love him because he's the one true God. And I remember sitting on the other line being broken that my five-year-old's faith was stronger than mine was. And I realized something in that moment, in my moment of learning from him, dads, we can learn from our kids. Don't shut them out. They wanna spend time with you. They wanna play catch and watch shows and understand what you're doing. And they wanna sit there and yes, they're gonna make a mess of your project, but who cares? They wanna be there with you and you wanna learn from them. And I realized something in that moment that I was also responsible for teaching him. Because if he was watching and he was saying those things and he was seeing what I was doing. Listen, when you realize that eyes are on you, your situation and your problem doesn't just become about you anymore, but it becomes about the people that are watching you and what we do for them as time goes on. I heard it put this way. There's heroes and there's villains in this world. And both of them have similar backgrounds. 
For both of them, at some point in their story, they experienced deep pain. But it's what they did with that pain moving forward that separates them. And, and there are times, honestly, that we, we teeter back and forth between the two. But villains say this. Villains say, the world has hurt me. I'm going to hurt it back. Heroes say, the world has hurt me. I don't want anybody to experience what I've experienced. And so in the middle of our suffering and in our pain and seeing the goodness of God, I realized that I wanted to teach my son. And I had an epiphany that what was I teaching my children? What was I teaching our college students? And what was I going to teach our church? Didn't mean that it wasn't messy and that I didn't wrestle with it. But what it did mean that it was no longer about me. And Psalm 71 verses 17 through 18 says it like this. Oh God, from my youth, you have taught me and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Listen, you have eyes on you. Dads, they are watching you. They're seeing how you respond. And it's really funny when our kids do certain things. You go, oh, I hate it when they do that. And then your spouse kind of elbows you and you're like, that's what you do. And you're like, you know what I'm talking about? There is something that's gotta be in us that goes beyond the situation that, are, that we are in and learns to be content and it's gonna be messy and it's gonna be frustrating, but you can sit there and say, and God is good, not but God is good. My situation is not good. It's frustrating, it's difficult, and God is still good through it. Because we learn this in this season. We learn that in the middle of this, in our frustration as a couple, we begin to be really frustrated at these situations. And, and listen, I want to encourage you. We begin to seek counseling because our marriage began to get strained and we begin to not communicate very well. And, and there was this moment we were in the middle of, uh, of this appointment with, with our therapist. And she goes, hey, can I just share something with you guys? Can I just set the bar for you? And I'm like, well, yeah, that's why we're paying you all this money. Please, you know, and, <laughs> I didn't say that. I'm not that brave. And she, and she looks at us and she goes, Hey, listen, the last four and a half years have been really difficult for you guys. I know you want things to be fixed. I know you want them to be back to the way they used to be. Some of you are in the middle of your marriage and you feel that right now. And she said, I, I know you're hurt. I know you're not communicating well. And she said, but the bar for you is two years from now. I just want you to stay married. That's the win. Don't worry about fixing it all, but just stay married. And then she says this, because to be honest with you, the last four and a half years of your life have been a fill in the blank show. So use your golf expletive of whatever you want to fill in that language. And I got in the car and I looked at my wife and I was like, when your therapist says that your life's a show, it's probably a lot worse than you thought that it was. <laughs> but we realized something in that moment to us and through scripture and understanding what God was doing in us. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me meant this. The secret to being content, the secret to contentment was just do the next right thing. Men, we're really good at wanting to fix situations. Our wife share, our children share, and we instantly want to solve that problem and solve that situation. I'm having to learn to develop the language. Honey, do you want, do you want me to listen or do you want me to fix it? It's always listen. I'm just, I'm just saying it's always listen. 
But we have had to learn and we've wrestled through that. And it just means for me, I had to learn to do the next right thing. I couldn't fix everything. No matter how bad I clenched my fists and tried and resolved whatever situation, I couldn't do it. But I could do the next right thing that was right in front of me. So what did that look like for me? That meant that I could be emotionally present for my children. That meant that there's times when our son wanted to just go in the backyard and I could go with him, that our daughter wanted to sit on the ground and I could just sit there with her and I could spend time with her. And no matter how many times I had to read the same little blue truck book, I was gonna read the same little blue truck book and I was gonna be emotionally present for my wife and I was gonna listen, that I was gonna open up God's word every single day and I was gonna strive to do the next right thing today, not worrying about tomorrow or next week, but what I could do today. So what does that look like for you? Listen, men, that means maybe you put the bottle down today. Maybe that means you put pornography away today. Maybe that means you emotionally check back in with your family today. Maybe that means that you give that non-sexual massage you've been promising to your wife for the last 10 years today. Well, maybe not on Father's Day tomorrow. But what that means is that you have an opportunity that is right there in front of you to do the next right thing. Not solving all of it, not fixing everything, but to say, you know what, God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And listen, church, we have experienced the goodness of God and we have experienced the heartache. We've left horrible financial situations, church hurt, frustrations relationally. Listen, but I'm sitting here telling you that moment and what you are going through is very real. But I'm also telling you that life is not easy and Jesus doesn't make life easier, but our God is also very real. And our God will be in the middle of your situation. Listen, I hate it when people say this in the church. Just let go and let God. Jesus, take the wheel. No, God put me behind the wheel. I'm driving the car. I want God as my co-pilot because I'm hitting the gas and he better tell me where to turn. I'm challenging you today. Look at your family when you walk out that door and realize what you got. That job that you want the promotion and look at the provisions God has given you. No matter how frustrating, no matter how difficult your situation, I'm here to tell you, men, that God designed us to be built different. That he designed us to have strong shoulders, to be the head of our homes and to battle before the war that's in front of us for our family. To do the next right thing, to get on our knees before God and say, Lord, no matter how difficult my situation is, no matter how frustrated I am, no matter how broken I feel, God, it's not perfect, but I'm going to wrestle every single day to be the hero in my family's story. Because listen, I'm telling you this, contentment doesn't happen overnight, but contentment happens when you choose to look at your wife and tell her that she's beautiful. When you choose to sit with your sons and your daughters, to look at your sons and tell them that they're strong enough to look at your little girl and tell her that she has the prettiest eyes you've ever seen. To look at your father that once upon a time hurt you deeply and forgive them. Listen, some of you have been raised in horrible situations. You've never had a good father, even one present, but God has given you the opportunity to be a father to somebody. And I'm telling you, everything that is in me, Jesus doesn't make life easier, but he gives you the strength for today. And when you stack, yeah, I promise I'm not an emotional person normally, but when you stack choosing to be content, that active choice and that learned behavior, every single day, 
two years down the road, my wife are gonna be able to look each other in the eyes and say, you know what? We're still married and we're better than we used to be. You know what? I didn't just go towards what I was winning at, but I pursued and I went after what I was losing in. Men, we're really good at going to what we win at, whether it's our job, whether it's hobbies or video games or sports or whatever, because we may feel like we're losing at home. Guys, it's time to turn and to challenge and to go after what you're losing at. Because God's designed us, despite what you may be told, to lead and to be an example of who Jesus is to those that are around us. Ladies in this room, look at your husband and tell him that he's doing a good job. Tell him that you respect him. Tell him that you love him, even if he may not deserve it. And watch us light up and pursue working for our families even harder than we did before. Listen, life is broken and it's a journey and I'm still learning. I'm still talking to guys like Jim and our staff and our lead team and mentors and family and loved ones and I'm still trying to figure this thing out and I'm gonna probably do that the rest of my life but I'm gonna do it figuring out with this word of God attached to my hip saying, God, I can do all things. God, teach me to be content in every and all situations. I wanna leave you with this. Psalm 27 verses 13 through 14 says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage and you shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. For every single person in this room, when you walk out of these doors, you have what it takes. Not to solve it all at once, but today, do the next right thing. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this room. I thank you for every single person. God, let us experience the goodness of, the God, of, goodness of you in the land of the living. God, no matter how difficult our situation is, no matter what we're suffering through, no matter what we're frustrated with, God, let us lock into a relationship with you and those that are around us. God, we're so grateful God, I declare these words, Lord, we know that you are our Jehovah Jireh, Lord. That means, God, you are our provider. That whatever situation that we're in, God, that you provide for us what we need. God, that life may not be easy, but God, you are good and you have given us the strength to get through today. Making the right decision day after day after day. God, and even when we mess up, getting right back up and pursuing that with you, God, through a relationship with Christ, knowing that we can do the next right thing, God. Lord, I thank you for every single father that's in this room. God, there's some men in this room that have never been told in their entire life that they're doing a good job, that somebody is proud of them. God, help them today to see and to feel, God, that you are proud of them. God, that we are proud of them. God, that they're doing a good job. God, give us the energy and the strength to go another round, to get up off the mat and to fight one more day. God, we believe with all of our heart that you are good. God, help us to walk through that together. In Jesus' name.